Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, August 31st, our last day of August here in 2023. It is International Trail Mix Day. I just found out more <laughs> on that in a second. Uh, I'm Moshe Wanunu. This is the Mo News Podcast. Only the really important news uh, we bring you. I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. You know, there's an old adage in newsrooms, Jill, don't bury the lead. So I just figured in the first 10 seconds, people should know today is International Trail Mix Day. Go out and celebrate with some M&Ms and peanuts. <laughs> I was going to say what goes on on International Trail Mix Day, but it, it feels like it's pretty straightforward, right? Just get some trail mix and eat it. I feel like, listen, everyone has <laughs> various allergies. So your trail mix might be different than my trail mix. But, you know, I, I also see here it's uh, International Cabernet Day. So that's also uh, something. It is a Eat Outside Day. So if the weather permits, go, you know, have your lunch outside today. I had my lunch uh, outside uh, yesterday, Jill. And I was remembering, you know, those days in school growing up. I don't know if you guys were like this. We'd ask the teacher, like, can we have class outside? Can we have class outside? Um, and it sort of felt like having class outside. It was very nice. My third grade teacher, I remember this so well, used to let us have class outside all the time. And if it was a nice day, we used to look at her and beg to go on the playground. And she'd be like, all right, let's just go. And you know what? That has stayed with me all of these years later. What was your teacher's name? Mrs. Sandstrom. Mrs. Sandstrom. Thank you for making Jill's day. Look at that. All these years later, she still remembers your class. Speaking of school, Jill, I know yesterday was a big day, first day of kindergarten for Alex. And Mosh, she loved it. She got off the bus smiling. She was a trooper. The bus came earlier than she's normally even up in the morning. That's what time the bus picks them up to go to school. And she was up and at them. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, my husband and I thought we were going to have to really wake her up. And she's like, I, it's the first day of school. And I, I just, I loved it. It was a great day. Amazing. And a big thank you to everybody who messaged me actually on Instagram with just memes and notes. And it, look, it's it's an emotional thing to send your first kid off to kindergarten. And so I, I appreciate all the kind words. But with that, let's get to some news here. Idalia makes landfall as a Category 3 storm. We're going to walk through the damage and where it's heading next. Another health scare for Mitch McConnell. We'll have the moment that he freezes and struggles to speak for a second time this summer. Plus, health officials warned that some energy drinks have more caffeine than two cups of coffee and want them to be banned for kids. Onto the job market, new numbers show job growth slowed down a bit last month, what that means for the overall economy. And you've heard of quiet quitting. Well, now companies are quiet cutting workers. What exactly does that mean? And all of the action from the U.S. Open and why some players say that it smells like Snoop Dogg's living room. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. A little Mariah Carey, and we said goodbye to Mr. Rogers. We'll have his inspirational closing words for you at the end of the podcast. All right, let's start with Hurricane Idalia. It made landfall as a strong Category 3 hurricane in Florida's Big Bend near Keaton Beach just before 8 a.m. yesterday with sustained winds of about 125 miles per hour. Those winds split trees in half and ripped roofs off of homes and buildings. As of midday Wednesday, there were two deaths in Florida related to the storm. Because of the remoteness of the Big Bend area, search teams might need a little bit more time to complete all of their work compared to past hurricanes that are in more crowded urban areas. 
The good news, if we could look at it that way, Idalia flew into a very lightly populated area known as Florida's Nature Coast. Compare that with last year's Hurricane Ian, which hit the heavily populated Fort Myers area and left 149 people dead in the state. This storm quickly swept through Georgia and South Carolina, where it created a few tornadoes, uh, leading to some injuries. So the storm did have an impact as it swept through the southeast uh, back to Florida. The Nature Coast is one of Florida's most rural regions that lies far from crowded cities or busy tourist areas and features millions of acres of undeveloped land. But there are towns like Cedar Key and others that did experience massive flooding and will be spending months, if not years, cleaning up and rebuilding here. But it was a very large storm, though. Uh, As far down as Tampa, a couple hundred miles away, they experienced three to four foot surge. And the storm surge across the coast is the highest that some areas, including Tampa, have seen going back 80 years. And Mosh, while three to four feet of storm surge, it may not sound like it's that deep or, or that much. Depending on how your house is built or maybe your place of business, it could mean you basically have to to rebuild. I mean, because the whole bottom level or the bottom part would be moldy and wet. I'm just thinking back to when I covered Superstorm Sandy here on Long Island. Storm surge can be very serious. Very serious, very costly, and also leads to the most amount of deaths when it comes to these storms. Uh, We talked about its impact across the region. Uh, It also did uh, take down a tree next to the governor's mansion, Casey DeSantis, the wife of Ron DeSantis, noting that uh, they were at home, but they were safe at the time. Uh, Jill, in a lighter news, we posted a video on Instagram of people who were rafting, kayaking, paddleboarding, a couple dudes on an inflatable duck, because, you know, there are people who do that. Uh, We don't recommend that. Nobody recommends that, folks. And nobody wants emergency responders trying to respond to you on a paddleboard or an inflatable duck. And yet, there were people who did that. Some people messaging us, by the way, can we like cut these people out of any sort of rescue money uh, based on their actions after the storm? Um, That's not typically done. But nonetheless, uh, this is still the peak of hurricane season. We got a couple months to go here. Uh, And uh, as we noted yesterday, NOAA has increased its estimates in terms of how many more hurricanes we may see this season. Jill, we're already halfway through the alphabet, uh, and there's a couple brewing out there in the Atlantic. So uh, Floridians should not let their guard down. Now to some politics and more concern about the health of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. On Wednesday, for the second time in a month, he froze up in front of reporters, unable to speak. Last time it was on Capitol Hill. This time it was during an event in his home state of Kentucky. McConnell's 81 years old. A reporter had asked him his thoughts on running for re-election, another six-year term in 2026. And that's when he became kind of stone-faced. I do want to play a clip from yesterday. Note that you hear an aide come to his side a few seconds into him freezing. My thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? All right, I'm sorry, you all, we're going to need a minute. Okay. Somebody else have a question? Please speak up. 
you can't see the video, obviously, but McConnell's eyes kind of stare off. A spokesperson for McConnell says that he, quote, felt momentarily lightheaded and paused during his press conference. And while he feels fine as a prudential measure, the leader will be consulting a physician prior to his next event. So that's what the spokespeople say. They still haven't explained that first freeze up. You know, a lot of medical experts watching that video saying, you know, these are uh, types of events that lead to a potential stroke. So let's hope that McConnell is getting uh, the medical attention that he needs. In March, he was treated for concussion and fractured a rib after falling at a hotel. He returned to the Senate a few weeks later. Then, of course, he had the freeze up at end of July. Again, very scary to watch these where literally he just drifts off into space, pausing. You know, it seems like he's somewhere else or is lost function, has lost his ability to control himself. Uh, as you heard in that uh, clip Jill just played of the one yesterday, an aide realizes after a few seconds, like something's up, tries to help him, make sure he's okay. And then she makes a point of saying, hey, everyone just speak up, speak up, please, which it's clear that he heard the question. It just was some sort of freeze situation. It has come, as people are saying, this is a major position. He runs the Senate Republican Caucus. He has been running uh, that group for 16 years as both majority leader and minority leader, depending on their numbers. As the Republican leader, you know, he gets classified intelligence briefings in a very exclusive group. He helps determine Republican candidates who are running for office. Uh, and this is a year next year where they're expected to win back the majority in the Senate. So he plays a very important role legislatively, politically for the party. And it does come as McConnell and other Sanders have been facing questions about how old is too old to serve in Congress. There are currently five senators above the age of 80. A quarter of the Senate is over the age of 65. And we've gotten a lot of questions from many of you over on our Instagram account about whether anything can be done in terms of age limits for politicians. The answer, not really. It's sort of a catch-22. Any proposal like term limits, cognitive tests, uh, age limits would have to have the support of guess who? Those people, those senators. So arbitrarily, what number are they going to choose because it's going to mean that a few of their colleagues are basically booted out. I guess conceivably you could do a constitutional amendment through the states. But again, you probably have state legislators uh, who are of a certain age and probably don't want to create those limits or create that precedent. So you really need to change the Constitution, which can be done two ways, right, through Congress or through the states. Uh, but it will require the same legislators to support something that would then basically, you know, uh, create a peak ceiling retirement age for all of them. One strategist tells the newspaper The Hill, I think some of what drives these people to stay on forever is a personal power thing that they can't let go of. The second thing that drives this, though, is the staff. I think what really gets ignored here is how the staff cover for these people who clearly cannot function because they themselves don't want to lose their power. So the staff behind McConnell, the staff behind Dianne Feinstein, staff behind these people, they have worked a long time to get to these positions. So they don't want to see their boss go because that's a loss of job security for them. Look, it's a great point. And it's it's one that's not going away anytime soon because you have aging politicians and no term limits. And so you can imagine that this is only going to become more of an issue down the line. And by the way, you know, we've talked about this before, but our presidential election next year is shaping up to be the battle between an 81-year-old Joe Biden. He's 80 right now. He turns 81 in November. By the way, he's just nine months younger than Mitch McConnell. And then you have Donald Trump, who's 77, turning 78 in June. Now, there's an AP poll out this week 
That shows a majority of Republicans and a majority of Democrats uh, say that Joe Biden is too old for the job. They don't seem to have the same sentiment when it comes to Donald Trump. I guess you could presume that the energy Trump shows is very different from the energy Biden shows, even though they're only a couple years apart there. And so this is a key issue that will come up next year is a 78 year old running against an 81 year old. uh, And it makes the issue of who their vice presidents are going to be really, really important. Trump, uh, notably this week, telling Glenn Beck that he would be open to potentially having uh, Vivek Ramaswamy as his vice president, but said that he needs to rein in some of his more extreme positions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, while we talk politics here, uh, Glenn Beck, the conservative talk show host who now has his own independent outlet after leaving Fox News a few years ago, asked Trump about VPs. Uh, Ramaswamy, notably, you know, sort of has been pro-Trump the entire time, really trying to be the heir apparent to Trump. Should something befall Trump, he wants to sort of take over the MAGA wing of the party. Trump ironically saying, you know, it's too much. You're creating too much controversy, uh, Vivek. You know, obviously, Trump knows to create controversy himself. But he's like, even for him, he's like, Vivek, it's a, you're being a bit aggressive right now. Can you tone it down? I wonder which of the comments he found to be so objectionable. It's just interesting because as the master marketer himself, Trump is known, uh, he knows that when he says controversial things, it brings media attention and brings a discussion. So it is interesting that he watched the debate last week uh, and had, his takeaway was that like Vivek, a little too much. Okay, time now for a quick word from our sponsor, Bowl and Branch. This is a sponsor that we truly, truly love here on the Mo News podcast. Bowl and Branch has made the summer of record heat a bit easier with some very soft and breathable sheets. We first got them in our house a few months ago and really have been loving them. They get softer with every single wash. Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch sheets. They are made with organic cotton. And without some of the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands, that is something that I did not know about, actually, um, until I started to do some research into Bolin Branch. And right now, they're offering a very special deal to the Mo News community. You could sleep better at night with Bowl and Branch sheets. You get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Mo News at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B O L L A N D, branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. There are some exclusions, so see site for details. All right, time now for the speed read from Reuters. Pediatricians and parents are calling for the U.S. to treat new high-caffeine energy drinks like alcohol and cigarettes and ban their sale to anyone under the age of 18. They say a single serving can contain as much caffeine as six Coca-Colas, For example, Prime Energy, which launched this year, has 200 milligrams of caffeine within a 350 milliliter can. That is more than the allowed caffeine levels in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Rival products, Ghost Energy Drinks from Anheuser-Busch and Kim Kardashian's KimAid Energy Drink also have 200 milligrams of caffeine. Monster Energy contains 150 milligrams of caffeine. By comparison, a cup of coffee has about 95 milligrams of caffeine, and it's causing some countries and retailers to ban these products. A few are requiring proof of age for purchase, but in the U.S. and the U.K., there are no national regulations that are banning the sale of these high-caffeine energy drinks, and in many cases, their bright packaging and their marketing actually makes them appeal to younger consumers. 
By the way, in the case of that prime energy, uh, you have Congress asking the FDA to review it right now, which is what they're doing. The American Medical Association supports a ban on the marketing of caffeine drinks to children under the age of 18. This is according to its policies set nearly a decade ago. The AMA also urges U.S. regulators and lawmakers to mandate child-resistant packaging on high-energy drinks. It's very confusing to many people when they look at them, you know, especially since like Prime, that there's a non-energy drink that sort of looks like the energy drink. So as you're going down those grocery aisles, you really got to look at the label. As far as limits, GNC, the store GNC has set an 18 plus age limit restriction to purchase energy drinks. But then you have massive retailers like Target and Walmart, as well as specialty chains like Vitamin Shop, which carry Prime Energy and other uh, highly caffeinated drinks, but do not verify buyers' ages. One pediatrician tells Reuters, the news service, there is no proven safe dose of caffeine for children. Any energy drink, though, with a high-dose caffeine in it, such as Prime Energy, is unsafe for children. Side effects for kids consuming too much caffeine could include rapid or regular heartbeats, headaches, seizures, shaking, stomach upset, and other adverse emotional effects, especially when it comes to concentrating when it comes to schoolwork. It is very interesting to see these headlines really pop this summer, Jill. You'd start to get that feeling where maybe not federally, but at least at a state level, you might start to see these mandates when it comes to these highly caffeinated beverages and an 18 plus requirement. And on to some economic news from CNBC. U.S. job growth slowed sharply in August to 177,000 new private sector jobs, according to ADP. That is below expectations, and it's also way below the number of jobs that were created in July, 371,000. ADP also reporting that pay growth slowed for workers who changed jobs and those who stayed in their current positions. That's probably why, as we told you yesterday, the Amazon CEO, Andy Jassy, feels confident telling people to get back to work or get out because the market is starting to become an employer's market gradually again. But as we've been telling you, while this headline seems like a bad thing, it really depends on who you are, because right now good news is bad news, bad news is good news, especially as far as the Federal Reserve is concerned and when it comes to lowering inflation. So follow me here on this slower job growth. A slowdown in the job market and a slowdown in wage growth means people, individuals, have less money to spend. With less money to spend, you can buy less things. Buying less things means prices will stop going up as fast as they have been. So it does actually portend a positive impact for inflation. Economists are split on whether inflation can continue to trend down. It's currently at 3% growth. They want inflation to get down to 2% price increases, uh, and whether that can happen without significantly slowing down the economy to the point of a recession. Until now, this very strong job market has been a reason why we've continued to see inflation at its current pace. So again, as they look at these jobs numbers, while this is below expectations, there is this feeling like, well, maybe that'll get us out of having to raise interest rates one more time and bring down inflation to where we want it to be. But again, you're sort of riding the waves here. And as things go up and as they go down, it's sort of a roller coaster. And it's very hard to get to what they call a soft landing when it comes to the economy. And most that really strong job market and job security felt by a lot of workers had led to what was described as quiet quitting, which we talked about on this podcast before, when workers basically do the bare minimum, just enough to keep their job, but not going the extra mile. Well, things have shifted a bit, and now some companies are doing what's called quiet 
firing. This is a story from the Wall Street Journal and CBS Money Watch. Some companies are reassigning workers in a way that is sending them mixed messages. Emails informing employees that their current job role has been eliminated, but that they have not been fired are leaving those staff members with feelings of confusion, fear, and anger. Again, this is dubbed quiet cutting or quiet firing and is the latest outgrowth of the quiet quitting movement, effectively allowing companies to cut jobs and trim costs without actually laying off workers. So they basically just reassign workers. They, they stay employed, but the reassignments often land them in roles with titles that are less prestigious. They come with lower pay and are more demanding. The strategy is gaining traction as a restructuring move. Companies like Adidas, Adobe, IBM, Salesforce are among the employers that have restructured their workforce in this way over the past year. One financial research platform found that over the last year, these types of reassignments, as they're called, have more than tripled. Jill, I feel like this isn't that new. This feels like office space with Milton putting him in the basement, taking away his stapler. It's all these (laughs) things that have been around forever, but we're just coming up with kind of like cute, catchy titles for them. Exactly. They take away his stapler. They, you know, lessen his role trying to get him out. Uh, If you uh, haven't seen office space, it really kind of gives you a sense of office culture of the 90s. So quiet cutting does really dive into workers' fears of layoffs at their company, uh, especially amid this weakening job market. It's a sort of a reduction in the workforce, but in a passive aggressive way, feels like a bad relationship where they just won't tell you the truth. The Wall Street Journal reporter who has been writing about this uh, was talking to workers who recounted to them uh, getting a phone call or an email from a manager, basically telling them your job has been reassigned and you'll be doing this from now on and basically take it or leave it. Now, some individuals initially felt like they were relieved. They weren't getting axed completely. But on the other side, they were angry or confused. They felt like their new job had either a lower status, lower pay, less responsibilities, something they didn't even have experience in, and they were being set up to fail here. And so it has led to a lot of angry people out there, understandably so. You know, some of these quietly cut workers, you know, have this feeling that their employers are trying to put them in positions they'd be miserable in, so they would eventually quit. And then those employers don't have to fill those jobs, but also don't have to fire them because they're not doing such a terrible job that they deserve to be fired. Now, this is something companies won't admit, but clearly is something that is a thing here. One analyst saying here that, you know, if somebody refuses the reassignment or eventually leaves after not liking the reassignment, the company... Uh, Once they leave, doesn't have to pay thousands of dollars in severance costs. It actually saves them. So this is sort of a really, you know, kind of nasty strategy uh, by companies to be able to get around that. Tennis, anyone? Let's talk U.S. Open from ESPN. American Coco Guff cruised into the third round of the U.S. Open on Wednesday with a 6-3, 6-2 victory over Russian teenager Mira Andreeva. Andreeva is just 16 years old, so she is the youngest woman in the tournament. Guff, who is 19, next faces the 32nd-seeded Elise Mertens of Belgium tomorrow. In other news, Venus Williams was eliminated 6-1, 6-1 earlier this week, her most lopsided loss in 100 career matches at the U.S. Open. Uh, She won it back in 2000 and 2001. By the way, Venus is now 43 years old. The crowd seemed thrilled to just get a chance to see her play in person sending her off in cheers and applause. She said, I know the fans have been here for me forever, so that's fantastic to still have that support even more than ever. It's a beautiful thing. I love the Open. She was the oldest player on the court this year. No word on whether she'll be retiring anytime soon. And she did admit in interviews she hasn't really prepared as much, hasn't been practicing as much uh, going into this tournament. 
Yeah, she got um, a wild card slot. That's how she got in. But it did strike me because, of course, we made such a big deal when Serena Williams recently retired. And I feel like Venus doesn't get any love. It's like here she is still playing. Oh, you get some love here on the podcast. <laughs> also, a familiar voice will be missing from most of the tournament. ESPN's lead tennis analyst, John McEnroe, saying that he tested positive for COVID and saying that he's going to miss some time covering um, the Open Tennis Championships. He said in a statement, I am watching the U.S. Open from home and cannot wait to get back to work soon. I always love his commentary. Oh, listen to McEnroe's fantastic. Sticking with the Open from the Associated Press, some tennis players complained of a marijuana smell on one of the U.S. Open courts, saying it's, quote, like Snoop Dogg's living room. It's become a stink at the Open. A pungent marijuana smell that wafted over an outer court clouded the concentration of one of the world's top players and left the impression that there is no place left to escape the unofficial scent of the city. While the exact source of the smell remained a mystery Tuesday, one thing was clear. Court 17, where eighth-seeded Maria Sakari complained about that overwhelming whiff of pot during her first-round loss. Also, Alexander Zeverev, the tournament's 12th-seeded man who won his opening match on the court Tuesday, said, quote, Court 17 definitely smells like Snoop Dogg's living room. Oh, my God, it is everywhere. The whole court smells like weed. So the U.S. Tennis Association here is conducting its own investigation of sorts to the source of the weed smell. A spokesperson for the USTA questioned officials reviewed video of the midday match, found no evidence anyone was smoking pot in the stands of the court, leading to speculation it may have come from what's called Corona Park, just outside the gates of this stadium court. It is legal in New York for adults 21 and older to possess up to three ounces of cannabis and up to 24 grams of concentrated cannabis for personal use. Those of you who have walked around New York City lately, it is hard to walk a few blocks without smelling weed smoke. So no surprise, this has hit the U.S. Open. Wimbledon champion Marketa Vandrusova, who easily won her match on Court 17 on Tuesday, actually also told a similar story. Uh, quote, I smelled it actually today. You smell it a lot. I think it's just Court 17. That court is just so far away. It's almost in the park. I think it's coming from the park. So uh, folks who are smoking weed in the park, can you just like, give it a rest? While these like tennis players are like puffing and puffing and and trying <laughs> puffing and puffing and and they need all the oxygen they can get. All right, now time for on this day in history. We begin in 1935. On this day, President Franklin Roosevelt signs what's called the Neutrality Act, which he calls the expression of the desire to avoid any action which might involve the U.S. in war. You know, we were still coming off of World War One. The uh, predominant sentiment in the U.S. was we don't want to be involved in another war in Europe. Don't get us involved with the Nazis, any of these people. So he signs the Neutrality Act. Uh, and effectively, that keeps the U.S. neutral, though once uh, Hitler invades Poland and the countries around him and pushes England back to the island, the U.S. does start um, aiding the Brits a bit. But of course, people forget this. We did not get involved in World War II in either side until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in December of 41. Uh, that's two years into the war. And by the way, we were only to declare war on Japan, but because the Japanese are allied with the Nazis, the Nazis declare war on us, which therefore brings us into Europe. There's sentiment, uh, especially given the anti-war sentiment, that if Hitler doesn't declare war on the U.S., we might have only got involved with the Japanese initially. So uh, it's an interesting history and really does reinforce to folks that, you know, the U.S. population, even amid World War II, was like, we don't want to be involved in this. 
And of course, victory over the Nazis would only happen with U.S. involvement. All right, fast forward to 1966 on this day in history, the Harrier fighter bomber jet, this is the one that flies straight up and lands straight down, uh, makes its first flight. Jill, many people might be familiar with this from the 1990s Pepsi points controversy. If you haven't seen the Netflix documentary about this, this was a huge thing Pepsi tried in the mid-90s. There were points attached to various Pepsi purchases, and you'd get free stuff from it. And in the ad, with no disclaimer, they listed a certain amount of points that you could get a Harrier jet. And a couple people actually collect, tried to collect that many points to get it, and then said, Pepsi, where's my jet? And Pepsi's like, that was a joke. And they're like, well, there was no disclaimer. And so they take him to court. I'm not going to blow it for you, but it's a fascinating little piece of 90s history. Wait, I'm, I, I'm dying to know what happens. I guess I'll have to watch the well, documentary. Gotta, yeah, Jill, I won't give away any more here. You could also Google it and read the history real briefly if you would like. I guess I know what I'm going to be watching this weekend. I will say this. Um, I do feel like they stretch it into too many episodes <laughs> and you sort of get the point after a while. So no, it's not uh, just, a, it's not you, just a documentary. Like, Oh no, it's like a multi-part eh, several hours. They it. really tried. They really tried to stretch a lot out of it. All right. On this day in 1997, uh, we would lose the princess of Wales, Diana, after that car crash in Paris, uh, she would die of her injuries on this day, 26 years ago. All right. Fast forward to on this day in 2001, the series finale of Mr. Rogers neighborhood aired 22 years ago on PBS, uh, he would sadly just pass away from cancer just 18 months after that final episode. Uh, Jill, I wanted for all of us uh, to hear a bit of Mr. Rogers' final message uh, to all of us. I'm just so proud of all of you who have grown up with us. And I know how tough it is some days to look with hope and confidence on the months and years ahead. But I would like to tell you what I often told you when you were much younger. I like you just the way you are. And what's more, I'm so grateful to you for helping the children in your life to know that you'll do everything you can to keep them safe and to help them express their feelings in ways that will bring healing in many different neighborhoods. Jill, as I was listening to that, uh, tearing up because it just is such a powerful message. I miss Mr. Rogers. If you could see me now on YouTube, um, Bosch, I'm tearing myself actually over it. It's it's really a, feels like sadly a relic of a bygone era, right? Being able to just listen to someone who just has such a positive message. And frankly, we could all heed Mr. Rogers' words on a daily basis. Uh, we end here with a bit of music news. On this day, turning 30 years old today, if you can believe it, Mariah Carey's third album, Music Box, and included that hit you're hearing right now, Dream Lover. Mariah Carey, a Long Island girl. <laughs> we'll claim anyone. You got her, you got Billy Joel, you got, you, got some, uh, you got some talent out there, Jill. Talented singers. I don't know what happened to me, but um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> On that note, big thank you to everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store. And before we go, you might notice in the feed right now, there's a special episode uh, right before this one that we put out yesterday afternoon. Those of you who are premium members, uh, you got this interview last week. It's a discussion on the Middle East and the future of the region with author Robert Kaplan. He has a new book out called The Loom of Time. And uh, it's a fascinating look at uh, especially U.S. involvement these past 20 years. 
And we take a tour of the region of what's next for Iran, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Egypt, Syria. Uh, Really fascinating. I was joking with Jill before the pod uh, since she got her master's in uh, this part of the world. If you're looking for effectively a master's degree in an hour or less, (laughs) listen to this special podcast. What did I pay for, Mosh? What am I still paying for, actually? (laughs) I don't know. You should have been like, I'm going to do a podcast one day (laughs) and be able to interview these people. Why am I paying for this master's degree? Uh, All right, everybody. Have a good one. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.